Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your love for us, that you looked at us sinners and you wanted to reclaim us for you. We are your creation and you want us to live with you forever in perfection. We praise you for that. We praise you for the gospel message. And now as we look into your word, God, help us understand more of what you want us to understand and to give our lives the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in week two of our ten-week sermon series through the book of Philippians. We started last week, and last week the emphasis was Christ and the gospel. And really that's, that's probably going to stay the emphasis certainly through today and most likely through the rest of the book. That's what we're going to be looking at. And I want to urge you, especially at the beginning of this sermon series, to get to know the book of Philippians for yourself. Read it and reread it. There are wonderful nuggets to be mined from this book, little four-chapter book, and I'd even encourage you to, uh, to read it every week with me. Uh, actually, we did this. Uh, we got some of the college students here. We did this in co- the college ministry last semester, and I told people I'd give them a treat from Dairy Queen if they read it every week. So uh, may- maybe I'll do this. If one of you can come up to me and tell me that you read it ten times this summer, may- we'll see. We'll see. There might be something in it for you. It's a wonderful book. It's well worth reading, even without ice cream. But... Um, It's a book written by Paul, and as Paul was writing this, he was in prison. That's one of the things that we need to remember about who wrote this book. Now, oftentimes when we think of somebody being in prison, we think, what a waste. Or we we might try to analyze their lives and, and see what could have they done differently, what choices could have they made or not made so that they didn't get put in prison. Well, it's a little bit different with Paul because he was put in prison for sharing the gospel message. But still... Some people might suggest that that maybe Paul should have toned it down a little bit. That maybe Paul shouldn't have gone so far over the edge in preaching the gospel and that he should have just, you know, in moderation and when it was safe and only then, preached the gospel message. How should we view Paul's imprisonment? Should we view it as something to commend? Something that we should even pattern our lives after? Or or should we look at him and say, now that's a guy that went too far and I'm not going to go that far. Our passage today in Philippians is about the example of Paul. He tells us how he lived his life and and we have to figure out if his is a pattern that we should follow. Let let me tell you the story of another person along these same lines. Jim Elliott. Many of you know who that is. He was a missionary back about 50, 60 years ago. Uh, And he died after just a short time on the mission field. Now, by most accounts, Jim Elliot was a sharp student. He had his teachers from an early age telling him that, that he should pursue certain careers because he was showing himself to be so good in these certain fields. And, and along the line, as he started walking with the Lord and people in the church saw his gifts spiritually, they started to say, and you should really get involved in church ministry or, or youth ministry or something like that. But Jim Elliot felt a, a different calling on his life he felt the need to proclaim the gospel message to people who hadn't heard it yet. And as he was thinking about that and praying through that, he met some people who told him about some unreached people in Central America and Northern South America. And eventually he heard about the Wadani people in Ecuador, otherwise known as the Aka people. And Aka is simply a word that means savage. But he heard about those people, and he made it his life school to bring the gospel message to those people. So he uh, packed up his belongings, 
went down south and, and tried to make inroads with these people. It, it's not like you just uh, you know, fly your airplane into that city and uh, grab a hotel room and start to get to know the people. He had to try to make inroads with them, and, and they were savage people. And he thought that he had started to make these inroads with these Aka people, and he, he, he thought that it would be wise then for he and his team to go in and share the gospel message with these people. But something happened, something tragic happened, and on their, basically their first attempt to go in to bring the gospel to these people, they were killed by the very people that they were seeking to bring the gospel to. So when we look at, at Jim Elliott in his life, you know, some people might say, what a waste. He could still be alive today and think of all the years of fruitful ministry he could have had if he had just become a youth pastor or a, a, pa- a senior pastor or something like that. But on the other hand, think of how many lives have been touched by Jim Elliott. I mean, many of you, I'm sure, we probably even have missionaries in this room that were inspired by the story of Jim Elliott. He's famously quoted as saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Our lives are not ours to keep. For those of us who know Jesus Christ, our lives belong to him. That's why Jesus said in Luke 9.24, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. So which is it? Did Jim Elliot waste his life? Or did he spend it exactly the way that he should have? What about Paul? Was his imprisonment a mistake? Was it something that we should learn from and say, I'm not going to do that? Well, I would like to suggest to you that Jim Elliot is rightly viewed as a hero of the faith. And that Paul's life is a life that we should model our lives after. Now, I'm not saying that we all have to either die in Ecuador or be put in prison for sharing the gospel, but I think there's something about the resolve of these men in light of the gospel message of Christ, that we really should follow. What I want to do for my sermon today is I want to take a look at the example of Paul from Philippians 1, verses 12 through 30, to see what we can learn from him. So I'm going to read that now. Philippians 1, starting in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And let me just stop right there. The people of Philippi would have by now heard that Paul was in prison. Either they heard about it through the grapevine, or when most likely Epaphroditus carried this letter from Paul to them, he would have told them. And and Paul wanted them not to worry. He said, don't worry. What's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I have and now hear that I still have. Okay, the way I want to look at this passage today is I want to emphasize four key words from the passage. And those four words will help us understand the life of Paul and what was important to him. And then after we look at those four words, I want to ask the question, what does it mean for us? So our first key word today is joy. Joy. Philippians is often called the joy book. In chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Some 18 times in Philippians, Paul uses words having to do with joy. He's trying to get us to see that we can have joy in the Lord. Clearly, Paul wants us to have joy. You remember, Paul also wrote Galatians 5, that fruit of the Spirit passage, where he said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's number two on the list. And he goes on with seven others. Throughout the book of Philippians, Paul wants to remind us that we have reason for joy. So we'll study this more as we go through the book, but right now, I want you to see that for Paul, true joy comes from living our lives rightly for God, knowing that God will take care of us. Look at what Paul rejoiced in. In verse 18, Paul, although being in prison for sharing the gospel, rejoiced that others were sharing the gospel, even though it meant perhaps more difficulty for him. Uh, He also rejoiced in verse 18 that people were praying for him and that the Spirit was helping him. And then in verses 25 to 26, he talks about joy again, but this time he's asking the Philippians to have joy. See, for Paul, joy was the result of having an eternal perspective. Joy for him wasn't about pleasure or or personal satisfaction or just getting the most out of the moment. That's not what he was thinking about in prison. That's not what gave him joy. Those things are taken away from you in prison. But his joy was not taken away from him because his joy was in something else. So joy is about living our lives in the center of God's will. We were created by God and for God. And he has wonderful plans for us. And our best life is the life we live in the center of his will. I think that's what Jim Elliot learned as he considered the possibility of losing his life for others. So joy means doing what God wants us to do and then having peace and contentment, knowing that God will take care of us. So often for us, we lose joy in difficult times. But look at the example of Paul here. He didn't lose his joy. He was certainly in difficult times. What was different for Paul? He kept his eyes on God. He didn't forget the things that are most important 
And he didn't let the things that were going on in his life rob him of joy. He kept looking to God. You see, for us, I think, too often we settle for less than true joy because we end up seeking our own desires or the desires of our sinful nature. What I want us to know is that true joy comes from keeping our eyes on Christ and living our lives the way that he wants us to. So application question here, what do you take joy in? What is it that that you most want to do that your heart most often runs toward? Is it God? Is it his plans for your life? See, for Paul, joy came in doing what God wanted him to do. So let's give ourselves to those things that give God glory. And, And I would like to suggest then that as we do that, as we spend our lives for God and his gospel message, that we will find joy because that's what we were created for, to live in the center of God's will, serving him. Joy doesn't come as we seek what we want. That's the ironic part about joy. That's how we, every one of us came into this world assuming that that's the way to happiness and joy, is to do what we want to do. But actually, the Bible teaches us that joy comes from doing what God wants us to do. And he'll take care of our every need. So that's the first key word, joy. The second key word is progress. Now you might very well miss this one. It only occurs twice in here and many translations, they actually translate the word differently in the two verses. So this one's important not so much because of how many times it's in here, but because of what it points us towards in terms of Paul's mindset of what was important to him. So verse 12 says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance or to progress the gospel. And then in verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. The word progress was a military term. It was a term used for blazing a trail. So let's say that the the military, the army was at point A and they wanted to get to point B, but in between points A and B was a big forest. Well, somebody, or probably a group of people, would blaze a trail then from point A to point B, and that was called their their progress, so that the army could progress from A to B. Progress then is getting where you want to go. Where was it that Paul wanted to go? Well, we see two things about him. And the first one was that he wanted the gospel message to progress. He wanted more and more people to hear the gospel message of Christ. That's why he was glad in the following verses to learn that more and more people were encouraged to speak the gospel message. See, Paul knew that people's only hope of salvation is Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection. So his goal was to do his part in blazing a trail for the gospel message to go forward. But there's another kind of progress that Paul wanted too. In verse 25, it wasn't just the progress of the gospel going to unreached people. It was also the progress of people who had already come to know Jesus for them growing in their faith. Now, don't misunderstand Paul. Sometimes we get this view of Paul that he just kind of hopped around from place to place sharing the gospel with people and then hurried up and got out of town to the next place. And and sometimes... His stays were very short in cities, but other times his stays were much longer and he stayed with those people to help them make sure that they understood the gospel message. And even if Paul left, so often what we see of him is that he prayed for those people that he left behind and oftentimes he even wrote a letter like the book of Philippians. So don't misunderstand, Paul cared deeply about people continuing to grow in their faith. 
And for us who have already come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and, and Lord, we're not done yet. We have more progress. There, there is more that God wants us to do to grow in our faith. The gospel message is to continually change our lives as we continually submit to God. And that's what Paul wanted. So to Paul, progress was both that the gospel message would go to the unreached and that people would grow in their faith. And that's who we want to be as a church. We want people to come to know Jesus and we want people to grow in their faith. What's our, our mission statement here at Cornerstone Church? Somebody... A passion to know Christ, commissioned to make him known. So we want to know Christ, we want to grow in our faith, but we have a commission from God, marching orders from God, to go and help people know Christ and to help them grow in their faith. That's our goal. So we give our lives to that end. Now for Paul, it landed him in prison. But that was okay for him because even in prison, God gave him things to do to advance the gospel. See, the advance of the gospel, the progress of the gospel, is God's plan. And what we should be doing then is joining with God in that plan. Okay, the third key word is gospel. It's one I've mentioned already, but it's, a, it's very much a key word in this passage. It's, it's a key word in chapter 1. It appears four times in our passage today. And four other times we see phrases like speak the word and preach Christ. So altogether we have eight times in these 19 verses here where, where Paul talks about the gospel message or the word of Jesus going forth. Now again, to clarify, the gospel message is the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's the only hope of salvation for any person on earth. No one can be saved simply by being a good person. No one should assume that we can go to God on Judgment Day and say, hey God, you know, I was pretty good. I wasn't as bad as those other people. Oh yeah, I messed up a little bit, but come on God, look, let me in. Does not work that way. The gospel is the only hope of salvation for anybody. The gospel tells us how we can receive forgiveness, and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. So the gospel then is good news for you and it's good news for me. But it's not just for us. It's for everyone. So we are to proclaim the gospel. Paul spent his life on this. If you know anything about Paul, you know that about him, that his goal was to proclaim the gospel message of Christ. He prayed then that God would guide him to people that, so that Paul could proclaim it to them. And because of Paul's commitment, we can see this in history. We can see it in the Bible as well. We can see that the gospel message did go forth. Even in his imprisonment, the gospel message went forth. Look how it went forth. E even as Paul was in prison, in verse 13, the palace guard heard the gospel. In verse 14, Paul's imprisonment encouraged others to share the gospel. And then in that weird paragraph in verses 15 to 18, we see that because Paul was in prison, other people were preaching. Some out of good motives and some out of bad. But Paul said, hey, whatever the case, as long as the gospel is being preached, I rejoice in that. In prison, Paul didn't see a roadblock. He saw an opportunity. And I think oftentimes in our lives, we, we feel like we see more roadblocks. Oh, that door is closed. But let's not stop there. Let's keep praying for God to open doors. 
I want us to see our lives like Paul did. I want us to see that God puts us in unique situations so that we can share the gospel. It could be that God has picked specifically you to share the gospel with a person. He, he, he wants you to do that so that that person whom he deeply loves can receive forgiveness and eternal life. So what are the opportunities God is giving you? The example of Paul is that we would constantly pray. We would ask God to open doors and that we would keep our eyes open so that we see those opportunities. And when those opportunities come, that we would make the most of them, speaking kind and gracious words, sharing the gospel message message of Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you that have been coming to Cornerstone for a while, you've heard me say that many, many times. I I base that mostly off of Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. I've preached on it, I think, three times here, and I've mentioned it many, many other times. And I just want to speak to you long-timers here. Are you doing that? Are you you praying to that end? I've asked you, it's been an application point in my sermon so many times I couldn't even count them, for you to pray that God would open doors. Remember, prayer is the first step in evangelism. And then as we're praying, we look for those open doors and we trust that God will give us the words to say. So are you doing that? Are you joining with me in that? That's, that's what I'm doing. That's the way I'm continually trying to train myself to live my life. That's how I'm often praying, daily praying, for those around me. I, want, I, I desperately want you to join with me in that. Last week, Paul talked about how the Philippians had become partners in the gospel. I want all of you to be partners with me in the gospel. And again, not, not that it's about me, not at all, but that it's about all of us together sharing the gospel message. So if you have not yet gotten in the habit of praying that way, would you please do so? Okay. To summarize the first three of these key words, we've got joy, progress, and gospel. Paul rejoiced in the progress of the gospel. That, we're talking about Paul and we're using these key words, and and the simple summary statement so far is Paul rejoiced in the progress of the gospel. His life was spent for the gospel, and he rejoiced at being part of it. And the fourth key word today is Christ. Christ. I, I mentioned to you that joy is mentioned 18 times in the book of Philippians, and that's so many times that people have taken to calling it the joy book. Well, do you remember, does anybody remember, this might be a candy bar question, anybody remember how many times Jesus Christ is mentioned in Philippians? 39. So joy is 18, Christ is 39. What would you say the book is about then? (laughs) So this key word is the most important of the key words. In fact, in our passage today, Christ shows up 11 times. Does that surprise you? It would be so easy, I think, for us to look, read through this passage and somehow not see that Christ is mentioned 11 times. I'm not exactly sure why that is. Maybe it's because we've allowed ourselves to become too familiar with Christ. I, I really don't know why it is. But there is an emphasis in this passage, in this book, on Jesus Christ. Now, one of the most stunning of those 11 mentions of Jesus Christ to me in this passage is verse 21, where Paul says, To live is Christ and to die is gain. When Paul says to die is gain, it's pretty clear that he's talking about heaven. He's looking ahead to that time where he would have a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And, and don't get me wrong, heaven will be an awesome, awesome place. It, it's my intention in a couple of months to do a sermon series on heaven because I think so many of us in Christianity today have a wrong view of heaven that it's just harps and clouds and singing all day long. Heaven is going to be an awesome place. No more death. No more mourning or sickness or crying or pain. No more sin. The curse is taken away. And we will have perfect relationships with each other and with God. We will have wonderful things to do given to us by God himself. And it's not just harps and singing. There's food there too, by the way. Heaven is going to be a wonderful place. Paul said in verse 23 that it is better by far to depart and be with Christ. His words there literally are very much better. In the midst of Paul's imprisonment, he realized that one day he would be in glory and everything that he did for Jesus would be worth it. But to Paul, he didn't just simply rejoice in what was coming. He just didn't resign himself to, oh, well, I guess my life's over and I'll just have to wait till I get to heaven. No, He added that first part where he said, to live is Christ. And if any one of you knows what that means, would you please tell me? Uh, It's my job as preacher to explain to you the Bible, and we've got a very short phrase here, to live is Christ, four words long, and I don't know what it all means. I know some of what it means, and I'm going to try to tell you some of what it means, but, but here's my challenge for all of you. Spend the rest of your life figuring out what that means, to live is Christ. If you made that your life goal, you would not be disappointed. Okay, so, warning, here comes my meager attempt to explain to you what it means to live as Christ. First, let's start off by looking at Christ. Next week, we're going to look at Philippians 2, and in there we see verses 6 through 8, where Christ's life was the life of a servant, lived in humility and obedience to God. So if we want to live like Christ one of the very first things we should be doing is trying to serve, serve God and others in humility, in obedience to God. Okay, what else does it mean to live as Christ? Well, it means that we don't live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. Colossians 3.4, it says that Christ is to be our life. And in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to live for Christ, again, means to live not for ourselves, but for God. What else does it mean to live as Christ? Well, I I was praying about this one because I was intimidated about preaching on this phrase. I was asking God to show me. And and one of the things that I saw is that we get some clues from the context, both right before and right after verse 21. I think Paul tells us what it means to live as Christ. In verse 20, we see that Paul's goal was to exalt Christ in his body. That is, to honor Christ by what he did. The theologian Richard Mellick said of Paul, as long as he lived, everything about him was to point people to Christ. Another theologian said, the whole life of Paul is a magnifying of Christ. We are to live our lives to give glory to Christ. That is one of our great purposes in life, to glorify and magnify Christ Jesus. And then in verse 22, we get another indication of what it means that to live as Christ. In that verse, Paul talked about having fruitful labor. Remember, he came to the conclusion that, yep, I think 
think God's going to let me keep on living so that I can have fruitful labor among you. You see, there's actually a promise from God for all of us in this. It wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just because Paul was so special that God had special things for him to do. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to walk around in. Do you know that the God of the universe has created things specifically for you to do? Good works, fruitful labor, for you to walk around in. If we are to keep on living, it is because God has things that he wants us to do to give him glory, to spread his gospel. Too often we don't give ourselves to that labor. Maybe it's because we think it's too hard to work. I don't know what the other reasons would be, I guess. We're afraid, lazy. But let's give ourselves to that, that work of having fruitful labor. Okay, so to summarize this key word, Paul's life was lived for Christ, to honor and glorify him by what he did and to continue to share the gospel message so that people would come to know Christ and so that people would continue to grow in their faith. That's the example of Paul and I think it's an example we should follow. So if we're summarizing Paul's life, Paul was committed to Christ and the gospel and we should be too. I told you earlier that I wanted to look at those four key words and then ask the question, what does it mean for us? Well, let's get to that question. What does it mean for us? In verse 27, there is a shift. See, in verses 12 to 26, it's talking about Paul and his life. But then in verse 27, Paul gives a command. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word conduct there is a word for how citizens are supposed to live in a country. So, for example, we who are citizens of America, we should follow the laws, and we should vote and, and do things like that. Try to sing along when the Star Spangled Banner is playing, other things like that. But, well, I don't always do that one. But. As followers of Christ, we should live our lives in a certain way. And what Paul says is that we should live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now this means at least two things. It means honoring Christ with our lives, and it means sharing the gospel with others. Or how we say it here at Cornerstone, knowing Christ and making him known. Or another way I like to say it, to live out the gospel and to proclaim the gospel. To, to live out the gospel is to live every moment of every day for Christ, recognizing that, that he has plans for us and that we are to live in whatever we do, we're to do it in the name of Jesus, to give God glory. And then to proclaim the gospel means that we help other people come to know Christ and help them grow in their faith. So wherever they're at, whether they don't yet know Christ or whether they're just a baby in Christ or whether they've already started to grow pretty good, we help them take the next step. That's what it means to proclaim the gospel message. Paul urged the Philippians and us to live that way. And according to verse 27, this is something that we are to do together. It says they're in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. I saw a cool illustration of this this week. It was, um, this thing is kind of floating around the internet. Maybe some of you saw it. It's a documentary entitled Boat Lift. Has anybody seen this? It's about um, 9-11. So September 11th, 2001, the day the buildings fell down. Um, 
And, and by the way, this documentary narrated by Tom Hanks, it's about 11 minutes long. It's a pretty good watch. You, you may be interested in watching it. But what happened on that day is, is that first building fell down and there was terror and panic in Manhattan. People wanted to get away from those buildings. And, <coughs> excuse me, and one of the things that Tom Hanks said as he was narrating this was people quickly learned or remembered that day that Manhattan is an island. So he had all these people flooding away from the buildings and they could only get as far as the water's edge. And they were terrified. I mean, we, we didn't know the full story of what was going on at that point. They didn't know if there were going to be further attacks. So there were all these people that just desperately wanted off the island. And what you saw then was some people, there, there were boats in the harbor, and, and some of these boats just stopped what they were doing and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring those people. And, and one of the, the boat captains said, it, they didn't even care where they were going. They just wanted to get off. So some of these boaters just started taking people away. But they quickly learned there, were, there weren't enough boats. In fact, they estimate that some 500,000 people wanted to get off the island that day via boat. So they did something... The, the Coast Guard that day did something unprecedented. They got on the radio and they issued an all call. It said, all available boats come to Manhattan. And it's this... Um, it was an amazing picture then. They showed hundreds of boats coming towards Manhattan. And think about that. They were coming towards danger. They didn't know. None of us knew at that point all that was going on. They interviewed one of those boat captains and uh, he got the all call and he said to his wife, I'm going, I've got to go. I've got a boat. I've got to go get those people. She said, no, don't do it. Uh, and, and he said, <laughs> I think it was kind of funny the way he said with it. He said, I could live with myself if I died, but, <laughs> but I couldn't live with myself if I didn't go. Um, so the, they call it I, the, the greatest sea evacuation in history that day. Over 500,000 people in under nine hours. And the, the part about that that really got me was the all call from the Coast Guard. All available boats come. Similarly, God wants his gospel message to go forth to all the world. There are all sorts of people who need to hear the gospel message, and it is too big a job for any of us to do on our own, and that's why God has issued an all-call to us. That's why Paul said what he said in verse 27, to live a life worthy of the gospel and to contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. It is an all-call to all of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There are people who are perishing without Christ, and we need to bring the gospel message to them. All available Christians proclaim the gospel message. Sharing the gospel is something every one of us who knows Jesus can and should be a part of. So let's spend our lives towards that end. Okay? One last warning, though, from Paul in verse 29. You might suffer for it. Paul suffered for it. Jim Elliot suffered for it. Sharing the gospel may mean suffering. You know what Paul would say? So what? He actually counted it as a joy to suffer. Not that he rejoiced because he was suffering, but that he was able to rejoice in his suffering, knowing that he was in the center of God's will.
So yes, we may suffer as we proclaim the gospel. We may get funny looks. We may lose friends. You might even go to prison or die. But this is the way we are to spend our lives. So again, pray. Pray that God would open doors. Pray that you would make the most of every opportunity. God will give you the words. Let's join with him in this. Here's my big idea for today. It is worth it to live our lives for the gospel of Christ. It is worth it to live our lives for the gospel of Christ. Was it worth it for Jim Elliott? Again, some people might say, well, yes. Some people might say, well, maybe he should have done something else. Here's the way I look at it. Imagine if we could ask Jim Elliott right now if it was worth it. In heaven, hanging out with Jesus. Was it worth it? Yeah. It's worth it for us, too, to spend our lives for the gospel of Christ. If we live, that means glory to Christ. And if we die, it means something even better for us. Again, Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So let's give our lives for this message. Last Sunday, in the first part of Philippians 1, we saw the importance of Christ and the gospel. And today, it's clear to see that Paul lived for Christ and the gospel and that we should too. Would you pray with me? Father, again, we praise you for this gospel message. We praise you because it has come to us and has saved us. For those of us who have received Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have received something beyond measure, beyond valuable. So we praise you that that has come to us. And now I pray that we would do our part to share the gospel message too. God, we pray that you would open doors. We pray that we would proclaim your gospel message clearly and fearlessly as we should, that we would make the most of every opportunity, that we would be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. We pray that our conversation would be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that we may be able to answer everyone. God, we pray that the gospel would progress, that people would come to know Christ and would grow in their faith. Help us to have great joy as we join with you in this, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.